0: Haven't taught in a while, so this will be me getting back in a little rhythm here. So this, is, this has been a fun book. I really enjoyed Dave Harvey. I really enjoyed his original book, and this one is definitely helping, you know, identify some things that we've experienced in our married life. Jan and I will be married 37 years this year in October, and so we've had really, really a blessing from God, and that picture there is two youngsters in the Catholic Church, and I will tell you a little story about that. So Jan and I were saved in college. We both accepted the Lord as our Savior and began to grow together, and when we got out of college and we were thinking about our wedding, we thought, should we get married in a, in a Christian church? And Jan had a cheerleader friend that directed us to the First Baptist Church in Greenwood, And we met with Reverend Ron Kerr. And he was just such a gentle, graceful, just wonderful pastor. And he said, you know, you two have grown up under your parents' authority. They've raised you up and helped you get to where you're at. It would really be dishonoring to your parents to do that. So just get married in Catholic Church. Bring Christ into your wedding ceremony. And then when you're your own family, you can go out and you can seek out where God wants you to grow and we look back at that that was such wisdom. We took our we made our own vows. We said, you know, we're not going to do a little ceremony to marry. We brought in our own music. At the end, people were like, that's the most unusual Catholic ceremony we've ever seen. And in fact, the priest that married us left the Catholic church and got married because we gave our testimony to him. And I think, I still remember him looking across the table like, whoa, (laughs) I think he thought we were weirdos. (laughs) But it was really such wisdom from that pastor. And it really blessed us to be able to start our new family and not burn all the bridges with our existing family and then begin to demonstrate to our family what Christ meant to us. So in the midst of that, realize this title when you realize family can't replace the church growing up in Catholicism church was everything I mean we went to church every Sunday in fact if you didn't go to church you were a sinner you could go to hell because I mean it was a sacramental system and that was a very important part of meeting the requirements of that so the motivation was different but yet that was never something for Jan and I to question we knew we had to be in church So the change came when we left the Catholic Church, and we're like, well, what do we do now? (laughs) So the first church that we picked, we opened up the phone book, and we said, well, we want to be a part of a Christian church. So we looked, well, here's a bunch of Christian churches, and we went, oh, that's one real close by, Chapel Rock Christian Church. Let's just go to that church. And so we went to that church. We were baptized in that church. We didn't realize that they believed it. You, know, you had to be baptized to be saved. We we just we didn't know. We just wanted to be baptized. And then we started our process of growing. So, enough of my personal story as we move through this. You will hear quite a bit about our personal story through this. But the teaching that we're going to talk about, I feel a little bit funny about this because you're here because you believe in the importance of the church. I mean, you wouldn't be here if you didn't. So in some ra- ways, I mean, I'm going to be defining and talking about what we already believe, but maybe some areas... Where you need some help, and that's an important part of what we're going to talk about today. I don't know how this pointer works if I It's a green button, right? There we go. I'm going to do a little review session here, OK? Because the fact is, you know, you had personhood created in the image of God before the fall. What an incredible experience that we're made in the image of God. And then the family was created. He gave Adam and Eve the concept of marriage, to leave and cleave. And he also told them to be fruitful and multiply. Before the fall, he also gave them meaningful work. So all those things were there. And then, unfortunately, we know what happened in chapter 3. And if I was Paul Harvey, I would say, and now you know the rest of the story. Another famous Harvey who really helped us now to understand what is the rest of the story. And I don't know if you can see that very well. Snoopy's writing his little paper there, and I'm going to use the peanuts to help define a few things here because I used to write my wife cards. I always had center her peanuts cards. That was my favorite comic. But you know, writing about what happened after the fall, well, help. We needed help. Help, 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 and another help. Where are you going to get your help? Where are you going to go? And there's a plethora of opportunities out there from psychologists to whatever, you know, looking at the whole spectrum of where you can go to find the encouragement you need in your married life to become what God wants you to be. And that's why we're here. That's why you're here, because we need help. And we cannot do this alone. We are never called to do it alone. God doesn't call you to do it alone. That's why we're here together. So with that is another little review session here, because the interesting thing about what God did, so much of it was set up even in the first 13 chapters of Genesis, but this whole salvation plan is a redemptive story, and the things that God did still stand today. You know, one of the the most gracious things God did was He instituted death so that we could not live eternally in our sinful condition. He gave us death as a gift because now we know where we're going to be in eternity, but we certainly aren't going to be in this sinful body. What a blessing that is. Secondly, when He instituted marriage, it was a protective influence. He had to protect man from himself. He has to protect us from ourselves. Marriage is the protective influence to keep us from destroying ourselves. And we see that again and again in the Scriptures, what man does when he gets outside the boundaries of God's protection. And marriage was given to us as that gift, even before the fall. And then man rebelled against God again combining all of his resources together to try and fight against God. And God then separated us into nations so that man couldn't do that again, even though he continues to try and do it. And even today, the battle of man trying to organize himself against God goes on continually. It's called conspiracy theory, if you wanted to know. But it goes on and on and on, and we see it throughout history. God never got rid of national identity because he needs that to protect us from destroying ourselves. Finally, he raises up through a family, a model nation to represent him, nation of Israel. Still today, the nation of Israel exists. God has a plan for the nation of Israel. And then he revealed his Savior because we need help. We need salvation. We need God's plan for us for eternity. And finally, that sacrifice that we know, that eternal life offering through his mercy and grace, the cross, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, the church, the called out ones. The reason I go through this story is because those things didn't end. He didn't end the concept of the marriage and family. He didn't end the national identity. He didn't end any of this stuff. But what he did do, I think is really important, is he brought it to a place where we can understand how we fit into that story. And we're not individualized as as an individual person. We're not... Identified just as our individual family. We're not identified just as our church. He combines it under the cross of Christ. And what we don't want to get wrong, just as little Snoopy there is getting ready to write his first theology book, what's the title? Well, has it ever occurred to you that you might be wrong? Well, there's times in your life where you have to be humble enough to acknowledge that you might be wrong. And one of the things that we found in our lives. So when we humbled ourselves to receive instruction, when we humbled ourselves to accept the fact that we might be wrong, which is really what, I look back, led to me being open to salvation. You know, when you're in Catholicism, you think you're the true church. I mean, you think everybody else is a weirdo. And what God did was he allowed us to humbly accept his salvation. And so here we are now in this place of life where... America allows you to do something that's really unusual and, and, and that is because of our wealth we tend to be able to compartmentalize. You know, wouldn't it be great if you said, Well, you know, here's my church life over here. I'm gonna spend an hour every Sunday at church and then here's my work life over here, I'm gonna go in from eight to five and here's my family life, here's my personal time. Well, you know, that compartmentalization can happen in a wealthy culture because for instance you all live in your own house. You know, that's Pretty amazing. I mean, we're wealthy. No matter what your scale is on the economic band, you're, you're wealthier than 99% of the people on the face of the earth. And what it does is it allows us some freedoms that in other cultures weren't necessarily there. But on the other hand, this compartmentalization can really deceive us in some respects, especially when we think we can isolate ourselves and do our own thing. And it's not going to influence how we serve the Lord, but it does. And so here we go. Sorry, I have to use so many Snoopy cartoons, but I just thought they were so applicable. In this case, when you were called out, when you committed your life to Christ, everything changed. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone; the new has come." Galatians two twenty. I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I that live, but Christ liveth in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You're changed. You're writing a new chapter, a new book, a new story. Your life is going to be different. You're not this autonomous subset. You're not living in these little spheres. You're living in one integrated set of God's, wonderful story for you. And look at what that looks like. Your relationship with God. You're a child of God. You're no longer this person just talking to yourself. The Holy Spirit is in you. He is guiding you. You do not live an autonomous life. Your relationship with your spouse is a reflection of Christ and the church. And I wanted to read this scripture. It's relatively short, but let's just recommit ourselves to what our marriage relationship represents to God. It's not just you having a good time together. It's part of your testimony. It's part of your ministry. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. What a high calling that is for marriage. Not just a functional relationship. It's not just procreating together. You are representing the very picture of Christ and his church. That thing's really sensitive. I mean, all I have to do is stick my finger. I wanted to go back a little bit. Because I want to just make sure we continue to rec- recognize even work. You know, work is no longer compartmentalized. Everything you do when you step into that office or factory or whatever. Your wife is working at home with the children. That is your ministry. It's your work for God. Colossians 3.23, everything that you do unto the Lord is for your presentation to the world of the gospel of Christ. And finally, just those last few Your relationship with believers in the church, it's all changed. Your relationship with those outside the church, you're a witness for God. All this represents your integrated whole. No more subsets, no more compartmentalization. Everything about you is a representation of Christ. Okay. Let's see if I can get the hang of this little clicker. So, one of the things I I don't want to do this morning, you can read the book, hopefully read the chapter. By the way, I'm pinch hitting for Mike Luce he was supposed to be here but he's in Alaska but his three key points where he tries to summarize some of the things about his teaching and you can see him here but one of the things that I want to just say is for your marriage to last I'm gonna if it's okay disagree with the author a little bit You know, going to church is not like the magic elixir. Like, okay, your marriage is going to last just because you go to church. I mean, we've seen, and I've seen, and you've seen, years of folks, and they've gone to church, and they end up separating, going their own way. I mean, one of the things that is for sure about that relationship is that marriage is definitely one of God's greatest gifts and it's also one of the greatest ways that you have to die to yourself. I always say that when I got married, it was the greatest way in which God exposed my flesh. And then when I had kids, he just doubled downed on it. <laughs> and then my flesh was really exposed. And, and the fact is, I'm going to cut out that first part for your marriage to last. Because all these things are commands from Scripture that have nothing to do with making your marriage last. But if you do them, certainly it is going to bolster and build up and help your marriage. And so we're going to just make sure that we reflect on Dave's teaching and also make sure we're putting it in the context of Scripture. Okay, so that first section there is you can't walk alone. Now, one of the things I thought about as I thought about preparing for this class is and I was so blessed by Dave last week. I've been blessed by Pastor Kotke. Is, you're going to get to know Jan and I better through this, and we're just going to share some experiences that we've had to encourage you to commit yourself in your marriage and being under the authority of the Word of God in church. So as we see, even in the early church, the first thing they recognized is they had to come together and stay together to survive. I mean, that, as Dave has gone through Acts, we realize the church was under such heavy persecution that they had to devote themselves to each other. Now, I've always thought persecution, boy, it'd be tough to live in that kind of a culture. But as we become under more and more scrutiny, more and more heavy persecution here, I think it's going to bring out not only fruit, but cohesiveness and more dependency on each other. You know, we tend to, without persecution, tend to just kind of go our own way. I don't need you. You know, I can take care of myself. You know, the old American, I can pick myself up by the bootstraps type of a thing. The church relationship was never intended to be that way. And certainly your Christian life was never intended to be that way. So, you know, as I look at these four points, I'm starting to look back on my own church life and how these things came into the reality of what I experienced in church. And so, when I think of this one in particular, not walking alone, let me just share a story with you. So, um, Jim, would you come on up here just so you're ready to share when I ask you? So, so the first thing that happens when you know we came to PBC is we were in a lot of what I would call parachurch organizations. They had just become kind of part of our life. We had been at a church which encouraged some of those things and we were part of that and we thought it was really beneficial for our life and then as I got to know PBC and came here you know Pastor Kaki identified you know some of those things weren't biblical so one night you know Pastor Cocky and Deborah said hey you know we want to come over and talk to you about a couple things and so we said sure so they came over and sat down at our table and said you know these things been some benefit, but this is why this really doesn't represent the Scriptures. It's not biblical. And we looked at it and listened, and, and, you know, we humbly accepted their, you know, their, their, their re, it was a rebuke, but it was a general rebuke, but it was also a, an accountability factor. And we looked into it and realized, yeah, there's a lot of things there that just don't line up. And so we got out of those ministries, and we look back and think, wow, You know, and you look at the fruit of certain ministries over years and you see what happens to people, but we were so blessed to be a part of a church where a pastor cared enough to say, look, this this doesn't look consistent with biblical truth. And so we were so blessed by that. And that's what we need in terms of our interaction, accountability, and personal interaction. We do not need to be out there on our own just thinking that we have all the answers. We need each other to filter, to see blind spots, so that we're just not out there accepting everything. And, and coming from Catholicism, we were a little bit like that. We were just like, hey, look at this big world of Christianity. Well, we needed to get things really locked into biblical truth, and Jan wanted to, I wanted to ask Jan, because I want you to hear how it influenced both of us as we experienced our family life and relationship to our church life, and so I wanted you to share about Coming to PBC for the first time.
1: So when we came to PBC Um, for the first time, um, I was nine months pregnant. I mean, nine plus (laughs) months because I always went late. And when we arrived here, I was so worried because we left our whole support group. And um, so we came in and literally we were here, what?
0: Two uh, weeks, maybe?
1: Maybe two weeks. And then I had Paul. So we mark how long we've been here by how old Paul is. And so, um, but immediately, the church family brought meals, they brought gifts. Um, Pastor Kevin brought Nora over shortly after. So to this day, we're forever grateful for Nora for serving us for several years. The Lloyds came over. They also helped uh, babysit, and we saw the gifts of the body of Christ in action. All the, you know, VBSs, all the, you know, Sunday schools, um, the ministry, the fellowship. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: we couldn't have done what we did without the church family.
0: Amen. And so one of the things that we do emphasize at PBC is is membership. We believe that's part of you saying, yes, we're, we're committed. We want to be here. We want our family to grow here. We're going to try to do our best to bring our gifts to the church. And that's one of the reasons that we, we do those processes so that you experience the accountability and the relational connection to a local church. And we believe that's God's model for how he wants his church to develop and serve together. Now, the next one is something that we have seen through the years and in fact was part of the trap I think that we could have fallen into easily for a time. But we know idolatry, what idolatry is, and at the very heart of idolatry is something that you put in front or in place of God. And our challenge will always be, we live in a culture, again, a wealthy culture, we just have so many options, so many opportunities. I mean, you as parents, and I'm talking now with parents with young children, you want your kids to have the best opportunities. I mean, we did too. Uh, We did a lot of things through the years, from sports to music to educational things that created pressure on the family and how we prioritize our time. So the issue now is priority. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from walking with the Lord and praying and knowing what God calls you to, but never sacrificing the responsibility of being involved in church ministry. So what's that look like? Well, I asked my boys. I had a time with them over the last couple days, two of my boys, my oldest and and youngest. I said, you know, what was your perception of church life growing up in our family? And they said, well, Dad, you know, we we used to actually, we really enjoyed it, and we really thought it was really such an important part of our family, but we really didn't like going Sunday nights. He said we would get home from church, and everybody would You know, eat lunch, and we were out there playing, and all of a sudden it seemed like in no time we had to get ready, get dressed, and go back to church. And, you know, there was grumbling, there was complaining, I remember, but we never sacrificed that that was what Sunday was for. We were to go to church. And and when I look back, we could have easily said, oh, you know, let's just let them do what they want to do, or let's not do it. But we kept doing it, and now all of my children are in church and serving in church. And I think it was an important part for us to commit ourselves to that. And I think that it also represents a time to be prayerful about how life changes. And I was going to let Jan just speak about that a little bit in regards to how there are special circumstances. There are seasons in life when things can change, where you have to maybe step away from ministry, step into ministry, those types of things that the demands of, for instance, a lot of children and even health issues. Hmm? well, how you responded to special circumstances and some of the things that you had to do in regards to that. You know, when we had seven children at home.
1: (laughs) I think it's just the point that you have to be flexible and pray for discernment. There were seasons and times which I think all of you have gone through a trial or two in your life, and there was a season and time where there was a, a difficult time in our, probably my my physical body I think after um, one or two of the babies and just the exhaustion from that and so I think just taking the liberty and the grace to pull back when you needed to pull back mm-hmm. and I think that we, we just had to pray for discernment during those times mm-hmm. so that, yeah
0: I, I'm, what I'm referring to is that that's not idolizing your children oh, I mean yes. what, what, what I'm saying is that there are Again, it's that idea of compartmentalization. You know, your family will be more demanding at certain times than other times. Sometimes your church life and and your service at church may require more time, more effort. And how about work? You know, sometimes, you know, we get pulled into issues at work that require more time. What I'm saying is that that doesn't necessarily represent idolization, but what it does represent is you prayerfully understanding how God wants to use you in ministry at that time. And I think the child-centered parenting, one thing I did want you to share about was how that works out in our family life.
1: Um, So there was a time where we worked at, um, we realized that when Dan would come in the door with seven kids, they would just, you know, run and jump around his legs and he could only walk. And we recognized that if Dan comes in the door and, you know, just kind of, pats me on the head, and it's like, hi, wife, and then gives all the kids attention. We recognized that it was off balance. So what we began doing uh, was applying a little principle. We called it couch time. We had learned it from some EZO material, which was a good application. And Dan would come in the door, and he'd tell the kids. We'd tell them, he's like, I'm going to spend time with uh, your mother, and you guys can all occupy yourself, do something. And You know, usually the kids, if we're doing anything where we say, hey, we need your help to do a chore, they're all gone. (laughs) But when Dan and I would have couch time, I'm telling you, they were all like peeking around the corner and they were watching. (laughs) They were trying to act like they were doing things, but they were, you know, they just couldn't get their eyes off watching us. And we recognized that a strong marriage is the best gift you can give your children. And so that time, they began recognizing that. The marriage was priority, and I think it was a great, valuable lesson for them to realize you're not the priority. The marriage was first. Not that we didn't. I mean, we sacrificed a lot for our children, but Mm -hmm. it was really a good little exercise for them. Mm
0: -hmm. And to touch one last time on this, you'll ever so often see a family that decides they want to just be their own family or have a, you know, what the big movement was the home church you know we're going to have a home church and I believe that's a false representation of what God calls the church to if you think of what the church is it's a calling out of the nations all the languages and tongues all the families everybody who believes that Jesus Christ is the son of God has been called out of all those separate groups to be part of God's church to represent him And so I think that that is a fallacy when you see that happening. If you've ever had that temptation in your own life, that is not scriptural. We are here to encourage one another and make sure that the family does not supersede or dominate or take over the role of the church. So, lastly, there we go. Prioritization of the church. Now, have you ever heard the saying that a priority— is whatever it takes to knock that thing off your list. So if you sit down tonight and you watch a movie, that's a priority for you. If you sit down with your computer and you're going through Instagram and Facebook, that's a priority for you. I mean, you cannot call it any other thing. However you commit your time with what you're doing, that's your priority. And the fact is, the priority of the church, just like you guys are sitting here, is such a huge part of maintaining not only your testimony, but your growth in what God wants you to be in Christ. And we see that from that Hebrews passage there. And you can imagine this is first century Christians already getting tired or losing their focus or losing their priority of meeting together. Let's not, let's consider how we. Stir one another up to love and good works. That's what we're doing here today. Not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That day could be tomorrow. You could have many more years to live. You can have the rest of today. We just don't know. We do not know. And so when we think about that, making your commitment to serving the Lord Jesus through the local church, and the key word is serve. And one of the things that you'll find is that it's not very tidy. In other words, when you make a commitment to serve, most times it's going to be a lot more than you bargained for. <laughs> Whether it be the calls or the things that you're doing on the side or the things that you didn't even know that the job would require. All those things encompass ministry. You know, and being called into certain leadership opportunities that I've had. And I look back at just the blessings that God's brought into my life because I've had to discipline my life. I've had to give up things that I thought were important to me, but yet wasn't God's best for me. And every time that you take upon yourself the opportunity to serve, I look back, I think God double-blessed me every time. And even, you know, what I asked Jan to share about is even when... Opportunities happen to a spouse or a child. Because think about when your child gets involved in ministry, all of a sudden you're the main taxi driver. You're the one that has to have him there and pick him up and all those things. But I was just going to ask Jan to share because you know it, it's not always balanced. You know when one gets called into ministry and another doesn't. And I'm share about so,
1: that. <clears throat> so I think he was specifically um, referring to the fact that when he was called to be an elder. He was traveling with his jobs, I'll set a little stage, Uh, we had seven children, we were homeschooling, I needed his help a lot, um, with a lot of things, and um, so when he was called to be an elder, I had, we, it was a decision we made as a couple, and I had to recognize that um, this was a call of God on his life, and as a husband and wife, I was his helper, uh, his teammate, and I submitted to that, and we agreed. And I just want to say that something that has really impacted my life that has been an integral part of my own personal um, commitment to Christ was that Dan's calling was from God, and I was to respect that calling on his life. And um, hold on, I have a couple notes that my attitude was going to be uh, an integral part of how I was going to help him and encourage him or uh, not. So I had a purpose in my heart to have a cheerful attitude and to not grumble. And a story that, as I read through scripture each year, the story about Miriam, when the Israelites grumbled against God, and when Miriam, when they left Israel, I mean left Egypt, and Miriam led um, the Israelites with a tambourine. Remember the story how Miriam sang with a tambourine? She had her own song. And then here, a few chapters later, in Numbers, Uh, she was grumbling against Moses, and she was stricken with uh, leprosy. And um, that story has so impacted my life uh, that grumbling is an attitude of the heart, and um, it's not our circumstance. It's really our, our grumbling is against God. And so I had to recognize that I purposed in my heart when Dan went to every meeting or was called out. They had all these meetings, it seemed like. Um, that I was going to not grumble and that I was going to have a cheerful attitude. His serving was a part of my obedience to God also. So I just want to say that. um, Also, the thing that I had to do is remember, when I look at a picture, Dan has a picture of our family at the very end. And when we look at our, our marriage, I just want to say that God's grace in our life to call us out of Catholicism, remember that you are not your own, your family is not your own. Your children are a gift to you from God. You're a steward of your children. You're a steward of the gifts that God gave you. So when you grumble against anything in the church, when you grumble against a leader or mm. the music, or you grumble against, you're grumbling against God. And so I just, I want to remind, I have to remind myself of this every day. This is a daily thing I'm saying I put off and put on. I want to have a cheerful attitude, and I work at that, uh, giving thanks. Uh, starting in the beginning of the day.
0: Thanks, Jen. Okay. So as we kind of bring some some closure to this, you know, prioritizing the church, which is what you're doing right now, recognizing the benefit that God's going to bring in your life and the grace of what he's going to do through the church family to bring to bear areas in your life that need to change, but secondly, how you're going to be advancing the ministry of God's story. And and it is an incredible story. This is our family now. And it's really not just my family. I mean, what's represented there is seven families. I mean, I've got seven children. Six of them are married. They all have children. They're all living in different places, but they're all serving in the church. I've got two in California, one in New York, one in Pittsburgh, one in Chicago, one on the north side of Indy. And they're not really my family anymore. I mean, my family is my wife and I. Faith is still our daughter, not married yet. But they're going off to do kingdom work wherever God's planted them. And so your roles and responsibilities in your family are going to change. You know, everything that you're doing will change. The only eternal thing that we're doing is serving Christ. And so when you keep it in perspective... You know, and, and then you recognize each season and time. Like, I love watching you young parents with all your scurrying little kids. Like, I'm looking at Luke and Kat, and I just look at the energy, you know, those kids. And I have such great memories of those days. Okay, I forget how stressful it was. You know, you forget that. But yet, you just look at that now and look back at what a wonderful time it was. But it's going to change. And you are called to see the bigger picture of what God's doing through you and through your family and through the fact that you are preparing through your ministry to send those kids off when they're young men and women to do God's work. And so I got one more little Peanuts cartoon. You know, uh, Snoopy's a a really great writer. (laughs) But here's Linus you know, why are you doing a short story? Well, I only got one page to write on. Well, you only have one life. You got one page. You know, let's face it, we all are kind of writing a short story. You know, no matter how grandiose you see different people's lives and the volumetric amount that's written over certain characters in history, but the person that's had the most written about them, that never wrote a book, the person that's been the central part of all human history, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this whole book is about him. And every book that's ever been produced about the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, just volumes, imagine. And he only lived 33 years. And he never even wrote one single iota himself. And yet, he's the story. We're just participants in that grand story. And all the things that you're doing, in your family, as it aligns with God's calling for you in his church, the work that he's called you to do, the gifts that he's given you, you're going to see by the grace of God how he's going to bring about the fruit and the, the reality of what he's called you to in your life. So that's all I have right now. And uh, I hope that not only did you learn a little bit about Jan and I and our journey, but it would encourage you to commit yourself uh, to serve the Lord in, in uh, his ministry. So let's just pray and thank God for this time. Father, what a blessing that you've called us out. You've called us to yourself. And by doing that, you called us to serve in your church. And we're just so grateful, Father, for what you've done. And so grateful for the grace and the mercy that you've poured out upon us to be able to fulfill the high calling that we have in Christ for each mother and father here, whatever stage of life you've, you have them in, whether it be little ones or grown children or whatever, Lord, may they continue to see that role and responsibility is from you and minister life into their families. And may we also recognize, Father, that we are part of a bigger family. We are part of your church, You're called out ones. And we have a great ministry of testimony to tell the world what you've done. And that fruit will be seen as we just desire to, to, to lift you up, to see you lifted up. Thank you for each person here. Thank you for the work that you're doing in their hearts. May we continue, Father, to follow you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.